Hey, you guys, I want to let you know about Book of the Month, an exciting service that helps readers discover great new books while also promoting the work of emerging authors. Every month, the editorial team at Book of the Month reads through hundreds of new titles. They do the curating for you. They narrow it down to five to seven of the best new books on the market, and you get to choose your Book of the Month. To sign up, just visit bookofthemonth.com. And for a limited time, you can get your first book for just $9.99 by using the offer code CHIRP, C-H-I-R-P. I should add that Book of the Month recently launched curated audiobooks in addition to hardcovers, so members have options. You can choose one or the other, either the hardcover edition or the audiobook. And if you pick the audiobook, you can download it and listen to it right there in the Book of the Month app. My latest pick is a novel called Anita DeMonte Laughs Last by Sochil Gonzalez. It tells the story of a forgotten art star of the 1980s who died tragically and whose life and work and memory are later unearthed by an art history student. This is right up my alley. I can't wait to read it. So if you want to sign up for Book of the Month, remember, go to bookofthemonth.com and for a limited time, Get your first book for just $9.99 by using the code CHIRP, C-H-I-R-P. One more time, that's bookofthemonth.com. Use the code CHIRP and get reading. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome to the program. This is the Other People Podcast. I am Brad Listy and I'm in Los Angeles. It is nice to be with you today. A flashback episode where I dig into the archives and share an outtake from an episode out of the past. I'm going to be sharing some of episode 613 today, my conversation with author Leland Chuck. Episode 613 first aired on November 20th, 2019. I had a great time meeting Leland Chuck and talking with him. He is the author of three books of fiction, most recently a novel entitled No Good, Very Bad Asian. His work has appeared in a variety of publications, including the Washington Post, the San Francisco Chronicle, and Salon. He is also the founder of an indie press called 713 Books. A flashback to episode 613, my conversation with Leland Chuck, is coming up momentarily. Don't forget to subscribe to The Other People Show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also subscribe on YouTube. Follow the show on social media, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and Blue Sky. I would love it if you signed up for my weekly email newsletter. You can do that at bradlisty.substack.com. And if you like this program, if you listen regularly, I hope you will join the Other People Patreon community over at patreon.com slash otherpplpod. Help keep this show going into the future. All right, so today's flashback once again comes from episode 613. It first aired on November 20th, 2019. A reminder that the full episode is available in the feed, as are all episodes of this program. So if you would like to listen to the full conversation with Leland Chuck, you can do that. Just look for episode 613 wherever you get your shows. All right. All right. 
Here we go with this week's flashback. Here I am in conversation back in 2019 with Leland Chuck. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been writing, you know, seriously with the wishes, wish to pub publish, you know, a, a book for a book of fiction for, you know, 20 years, probably since college and was, uh, always kind of convinced that success would come at some point. And I think that's probably the lesson of my life story is that success might not come, you know, uh, at some point in time. But, uh, you know, I, I wrote all through my twenties and through most of my thirties with, without success, without publishing a book. I mean, a lot of close calls, lots of, uh, you know, agent, nice rejections. I remember, you know, back in the day when agents uh, sent you letters <laughs> in, in the mail, like by paper that was actually typed by somebody, you know, I'd, I'd get the long letters, you know, one time a super agent called me on the phone and rejected me. Um, you know, all that stuff, like I found encouraging, but, you know, frustrating at the same time, like everything else in writing. Uh, it's always like great and disappointing uh, simultaneously. But, um, you know, I, I think my first break sort of was to get into the McDowell colony kind of on the first try. Uh, I don't, I don't know why they had me there. <laughs> you know, they, I think uh, there were seven writers there and like one of them was Michael Shaban and the other one was Heidi Julevitz and Sam Lipsight was there. And I was, I was, I didn't, I never published a story, never published a book. And I was like, there must be some sort of mistake. <laughs> <laughs> so what, and you're just there as like a resident just working on Yeah, your... yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember being, just being so nervous when we had to share our work. And so I read from my first novel, which was in progress at the time. And this is like 2010. And I'm like, it's going to happen now, right? I was just hanging out with Michael Shaven. <laughs> you know, it must be good. Um, and uh, it, Nothing happened. You know, I, I signed with an agent shortly thereafter. I moved to New York. I started working on this novel, which uh, just came out. Um, and did you move to New York thinking, like, I got to go to where publishing is to make the connections that I need to get yes, this over the line? Yes. I was like, you know, very, I was living a very comfortable life in San Francisco. I was, had been working in tech for 10 years. And my, my wife and I are just like, if we don't go now, we're never going to go. And uh, so we decided to move. And, you know, to chase, chase the dream, whatever the dream looked like. And then, you know, I, you know, after the McDowell colony, it just seemed like everything was lining up. You know, I signed with an agent that seemed like he was really into the first, uh, first novel. And, uh, the first novel being the, my first novel, the misadventures of Sullivan Pong. And, um, then nothing happened. You see, he basically submitted it and within like three weeks it was over <laughs> you know he submitted it to like 15 editors they all said no he's like yeah i'm out and uh that was it that was it so then it was on to the next book yeah but what was your response when he says that's it oh i'm devastated right you don't know i mean you don't know how to handle it the first time nobody ever tells you and that's part of like the, you know something i think about now when i'm as i'm running my indie press 713 books and just to coach you know, writers who haven't gone through it yet, like what to expect, you know, don't expect, you know, uh, riches to rain down like right away, you know, don't expect the review in the New York Times, you know, or NPR or Terry Gross to be calling just because you wrote a book, you know, a lot of things happen in between. So yeah, so I started, you know, I pulled the book back. I still thought it was very good. So I, um, you know, started sending it to contests and it would place in contests, which again, like gave you validation that, Hey, it's not bad. <laughs> you know, it's nothing like, it's not horrible. And then, uh, that was like five, it took like five years or something like that. So basically, you know, I'd been submitting it for like three or four years to contests and 
various small presses. Nobody knew my name. I'd never published a short story. I didn't publish my first short story until like 2013. And I've never published in like huge journals either. So, um, yeah. So I'm working all this time. And then uh, late 2013, you know, I get diagnosed really out of the blue with um, a leukemia related disease called myodysplastic syndrome. I guess there are several diff- different types. Well, okay, but, so that's all. I mean, there's a lot to, to unpack. I yeah. think the first thing I would say is, like, what gave you the energy and, like, self-belief in the face of rejection to keep pushing uh, Sullivan Pong? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I just felt like, you know, you spend so much time on something. I'd spent, like, five years you know, six years on the book, which is not a lot. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you realize in in novel writing terms. And I felt like whenever I read the book, I was like, "This is a good book. It's super funny. It's super dark," which I think is probably why it didn't, you know, go go big to the big houses. Um, and uh, you know, I believe in it, and I believe in myself as a writer. And you know, I did, I never had doubts that you know good things would happen. I don't think I had doubts until I actually got sick and I realized. I might actually die before this happens, you know, because I'm in my 30s and you're not thinking about all that stuff. You're thinking about eventually something's going to break. Um, so how did you like, like, if you don't mind, like what, yeah, yeah. what were the symptoms? Like, how did you get diagnosed? Did you obviously you started feeling bad? No, I never, I didn't feel bad at all. I didn't oh. feel anything. I was still running like four or five miles, you know, a couple times a week. It was just a routine, you know, medical checkup. And uh, my primary care physician called me up and he did the blood test, like the annual, and he was just like, man, you're, you have basically no white blood cells left. And uh, he said, uh, right, right when he said that, I, you know, the, the tone of his voice is very serious. So, uh, you know, he sent me off to a hematologist and the hematologist, you know, did the bone marrow biopsy. And he's just very, very blunt. He says, you need a bone marrow transplant. And uh, then he sent me off to Memorial Sloan Kettering. And then it was just kind of a whirlwind from there. They monitored me for several months you know, taking blood tests all the time. Uh, and then at a certain level, you know, once it got to a, like, you know, 0.3 ANC, the neutrophil count, you know, like you should probably go in. And, and all this time I'm thinking, I don't feel that bad. You know, I, mean, I don't get sick. I, I couldn't remember the last time I had gotten a cold. It was totally bizarre. It was like a surreal, like out of body experience. Was, I kept thinking that they were like lying or, <laughs> you know. How do you get this disease? Uh, it's random. Like some people say, you know, in some cases it happens uh, via radiation exposure. Obviously, like I don't, I don't think I've been exposed to, re- you know, it's not like I live near Fukushima or something like, like that. Um, and then a lot of people get it as a res- you know, as a side effect of chemo for breast cancer, which obviously did not happen to me. Bad luck, the worst, you know. Damn. So, yeah. you, I mean, are you in denial? Do you think most any- of the time, yeah. most of the time I'm in denial, I'm living a normal life. And I think, uh, you know, my, cause I was relatively young. It was, I was diagnosed at 37. I was still kind of in the present, the present tense stage of my life, you know, not, not having too many plans that actually, that mentality, I think kind of helped, you know, as I was going through the process, you know, I was very satisfied with just getting a really, you know, having a good day. And, and that becomes important when you actually have the transplant and you don't have an immune system and, you know, there, anything can kill you, basically. You know, so I was basically, you know, in the hospital, you know, when I was getting the transplant, you know, I was just focusing on, can I have a good morning? You know, can I have a good afternoon? 
have a good night. That's not a bad way to live, period. Exactly. The goal was to open your eyes in the morning and be able to get up out of bed. And uh, I really, really for the whole, like, you know, and it's five years out now, you know, for three or four years, my whole mentality was like that. It was, you know, my goal is to get out of bed. I just want to have a good day. What are two things I want to accomplish today? You know, it's that it, your life gets so small, basically, you know, in those circumstances. What was your prognosis? Um, basically, if I didn't get the transplant, I would probably get sick and die in a couple of years. You know, I, I had no, no, uh, the Death Star shield, shields were down, <laughs> you know, I had no uh, protection against illness or infection. You know, when I, whenever I left my isolation ward, you have to wear a mask because I was neutropenic. What does uh, that mean? That means your, you have a, your neutrophil level is so low that you know, you could catch anything. I don't even know what neutrophil is. I should know this. They're, uh, yeah, they're, uh, they're a type of white blood cell. And basically, they're your shields. They're your, de you know, the Death Star's, you know, force field around it uh, to protect you from illness. And what's ironic is that, you know, right before I got diagnosed, I followed my wife on an internet, her, one of her international assignments, and we were in Southeast Asia. We were traveling. Was she a journalist? No, she's a, she worked at a, works at pay, worked at PayPal at the time. Oh, okay. And, uh, she, she had a team over there. So we spent a month in Singapore and we were traveling in Malaysia, <laughs> like all the, all the places that you would expect to, uh, to have problems with like water, food poisoning. And I never got sick. And then I came back, went to the doctor and they're like, oh, you're, the shields are down. So <laughs> who, like, right. who knew? Uh, yeah, it just goes to show, go, go, go see your doctor. Healthcare is important. Um, a bone marrow transplant costs $600,000, you know, of which we pay, probably paid a few thousand bucks, you know, because we had corporate healthcare, which, you know, obviously in the, in this political season, uh, is important. Yeah. I mean, it was just a, it was a wild experience. I'm still trying to digest it all, you know, like what actually happened I and, always, and I the meaning I, behind it. Yeah. I always wonder like if something like that serious life threatening where you really were face to face with it, you know, it, like if it would, well, I guess it would inevitably change me or change anybody. Right. But the question is how lasting are the changes and how yes. deep and clear is the insight that you imagine you might get. Right. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. are you still a confused, you're still a confused human after all of it. Yeah, or, absolutely. I'm, I'm still very confused by it. I think like, you know, what I was trying to do was, you know, coming out of it and my indie press 713 books, you know, which were number 713 or the, it was the date of my transplant and grafting and also the date where my books got picked up you know okay so when you say you're transplant engrafted right that means that it took yes yes usually it takes there are rare, rare occasions where it doesn't and if it doesn't they try to keep you li along live and alive enough long enough to uh to do it again but if it doesn't engraft you're dead you know basically Okay, so your bone marrow transplant in grafts on July 13th. Right, 2014. And on that same day? On that same day, I'd been submitting, obviously I'd been sitting, submitting uh, my novel for ages, and uh, there was a small press in Chicago that took it. Doctor leaves the room, I check my email, and, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, there's this note from the publisher saying, I really love this book and I'd like to publish it. And what are you, what are you thinking at that point? I'm thinking, well, the first thing I did was I emailed my brother 
and one of my oldest friends, and I said, I think it's time to publish a book. <laughs> and, you know, it was just a very low-key celebration. Um, it was a very good day, I remember, because my brother, uh, these are simple pleasures, right? Um, my brother brought my Xbox One from my uh, apartment to the hospital, and uh, actually, He's a videographer, so he hooked it up to his these little his little film monitor thing, so that I could play Grand Theft Auto. I, I can't remember which Grand Theft Auto it was, but um, in in the hospital room. So that it it, may, it it was obviously one of the best days of my life. When I, now that I think about it, Grand Theft Auto, my book getting published, and my transplant getting engrafted. Um, obviously, I've had friends tell me that it was it was a moment of rebirth, like you became somebody new or somebody, somebody different. I was going to say, when something like that happens, it has to feel a little faded, like fate, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I've just been very lucky, I think. I'm just, when I think of my entire, and I was thinking this before, you know, I was, you know, after I was diagnosed is that I've just had a lucky life. You know, I've, I've been able to find love. I've traveled the world. You know, I've, I've lived kind of a life of privilege in a, in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, I grew up in Silicon Valley. Uh, my parents, you know, immigrated from China. My parent, my parents swam like five miles open water, escaping China and, uh, to Hong Kong in the early seventies. And together, uh, together, yeah. They talk about it now like it's nothing, <laughs> but <laughs> but it was something. A lot of people died on that swim. They called them freedom swimmers, right? You know, they were escaping the Cultural Revolution and the Great Famine and all all the turmoil in China at the time. And uh, they came to California and settled in the Bay Area. My dad became super successful. Um, he still works in Silicon Valley today as, a, as an engineer. And, uh, you know, he's 70, which is crazy in Silicon Valley. Nobody works, but he likes it. And uh, so we, we were afforded, my brother and I afforded a life of, you know, relative ease, you know, or just uh, we were driving luxury, luxury car hand-me-downs, you know, in high school. And, you know, they were, my parents are relatively supportive you know, maybe not emotionally, but like financially, they they paid for my brother to go to art school and you know, all, all that good stuff. So we we were just so lucky in so many ways. But so close to, so close generationally to un, being unlucky. Exactly. That it my, affords some maybe some perspective that might not otherwise be there if right. the good fortune had maybe been more well, I think, entrenched. Yeah, exactly. And I was extremely lucky to even get a transplant. So like, seventy percent of people don't find a match. Um, they were telling me that uh, my chances of surviving the transplant were 70%. So, you know, back in 2013 and 2014, you multiply those probabilities together, and basically my chances of living um, was a coin flip. You know, it was 49%, right? Seven, seven over 10 times 7 over 10 is 49, you know? So I have uh, no idea what you just did, but I believe you. I did the math. Okay. I did the math. So, so like 70% of... Your chances of surviving a, a transplant long-term are 70%. I, I think the first year is like 62% or something like that. A lot of people die from the from the procedure because they're really sick. And in order to survive the transplant, they need to give you high-dose chemotherapy to basically wipe out your bone marrow, your immune system completely. And if you're already sick and you your immune system is wiped out, you're just susceptible to anything. You know, you could die. You can die of a cold. What of, was your What was your mental attitude? Because I feel like that would be important. I always worry, like, I, I, you know, or you think about, you when you imagine these kind of dark uh, possibilities in life, yeah. like, and how am I going to deal with it? Yeah. You know, you don't want to be one of those people who's like, 
in denial in a way that's absurd, but you sort of have to be mentally tough and to believe and to stay positive. Right. 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 You right. can't get dark and just like spiral into worry and no, dread. You get, uh, you get very practical and like very kind of like execution oriented. You know, like I'm going to do this today. I'm going to do this. Like, um, you know, I was super happy if I could get on the exercise, the recumbent bike in my isolation ward and do half an hour of just pedaling. <laughs> you know, that would make me incredibly happy. Like I said, your life gets really small and you, uh, you know, you focus on the little things, I think. Uh, you know, there were no great, huge, like, com like tearful conversations or anything like that with my family or my wife or my brother or anything like that. It was, uh, it was very much like, hey, this is what we got to do today. Let's do it. And, you know, trust your doctors. You know, trust that everyone, everyone's kind of got got your back. And I think that's one of the lessons that I learned is that people don't really the patients don't really fight cancer. It's the people around them that fight cancer for you. You sit around and you lie around and, and say, I'd like to get on the bike today, <laughs> you know, sit around and like, mm, I'd like to just try to get down this can of insure, you know, that's not really doing very much. They say, oh, you're so brave and, you know, you're, you're so tough. I'm like, mm, I don't know. I think it's the toughness of the people around you, right? Which is kind of the whole ethos of the of why I started the small press. It's like writers need help. It's not something that you know. You sit in the room and you write this great book, and then somebody's gonna you know take it to the next level. It's you know I'm sure you saw this with your novel. It's like you got this team around you that are trying to you know that are trying to lift you up, and that's really like so much of you know what life is. It's, it's the people around you lifting you up. All right, guys, there it is. Today's flashback, episode 613, my conversation with Leland Chuck. It first aired on November 20th, 2019. It's a great conversation, right? And there's more to it. There's a lot more to it. So if you like what you just heard and you would like to listen to all of episode 613, you can do that. It is in the feed. Go look for it wherever you get your podcasts. You can find Leland Chuck online at lelandchuck.com. Check out 713 Books. Check out his, uh, his various books. Check out everything that he's got going on at lelandchuck.com. Follow him on Twitter and Instagram. Don't forget to subscribe to The Other People Show wherever you listen. You can also subscribe on YouTube. Follow this program on social media, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and Blue Sky. You can sign up for my weekly email newsletter for free at bradlisty.substack.com. Join the Other People Patreon community at patreon.com slash otherpplpod. Help keep this show going into the future. You can join the Other People Book Club at otherppl.com. Get a new book delivered to your door every 30 days. I interview book club authors on this program. If you have a couple of minutes, please give this show a rating wherever you listen. Write a little review if that's possible. It helps the show find new listeners. If you would like to get some other people apparel, a t-shirt or a sweatshirt, just go to otherppl.com. Last but not least, I have a book out. It is called Be Brief and Tell Them Everything, my most recent novel available in trade paperback, ebook, and audiobook editions. I narrate the audiobook. So if you would like to read my book, 
you can read my book or have me read it to you. It's called Be Brief and Tell Them Everything. Okay, so coming up on Sunday, I will be in conversation with Tommy Dean for a Craftwork episode. We're going to be talking about how to write flash fiction. So, for all of you nerds out there, stay tuned. <laughs>